All right, peeps, on today's episode of the Kung Fu Genius, the genius will be answering all sorts of hot nonsense from YouTube. Lots of gems, lots of how to become a Sifu, lots of instead of tea, can I just drink coffee up in the Bicey ceremony? Let's get to it. And every day, I practice martial arts. Yo, Jay, how you doing, man? I'm good, Sifu. Totally Gucci up in here. <laughs> good to see you again. Uh, yes. Want to uh, welcome everyone to another episode of the Kung Fu Genius Podcast. Okay. Uh, we are doing another welcome, episode welcome. here from our remote setup until we get our schedules back in line like, uh, like the Dow. Um, but until then, we are going to do this like kind of remote Dow. version of our podcast. So great oh, to see you yes. again. Um, oh, yes. As always. If you guys want to support the Kung Fu Genius Podcast, the best way to do that is on Patreon. For as little mm -hmm. as $5 a month, you get episodes early, you get special content, you get when now I'm, as of a week ago, we're going to have like a monthly Patreon-only stream where I only answer questions from our Patreons and lots of other goodies. My Instagram subscriber reels, all that kind of good stuff is on Sweet. there. So uh, that is the easiest way to uh, support us. Also... Uh, we are kind of finalizing the big Hong Kong trip, uh, for this year, which is in August. I'm going to be doing the ultimate Hong Kong Kung Fu tour. And, uh, you can come with me to Hong Kong, uh, on these streamed episodes that we've been doing where we record it through a stream. We don't have our normal commercials inserted, which I'm sure makes our listeners very upset. Um, but if you go back uh, like about four or five episodes to the past, you'll see we have a couple spots there that give a little bit of information about the Hong Kong trip. Also, if you go to the Kung Fu Genius channel on YouTube, we have all of our episodes divided by uh, playlists for season one, season two, season three. If you go to the season three playlist, you'll actually see a short video there, which is... Um, a promo for the um, Ultimate Hong Kong Kung Fu Tour nice. in, um, in August. We are almost completely booked. And the reason why I say that is because um, City Wing Chun students are always notorious for booking things last. They go like, oh, yeah, yeah. Steve is going to Hong Kong. Yeah, I'll, I'll book that thing a day before I go to Hong Kong. Whereas all of our podcast yeah. listeners, uh, and I would have to say about 80% of the people who are coming on this tour are kfg podcast listeners so they're in fact not like my city wing chun students or some of them don't even practice wing chun at all so we have like a, a, a really cool crew of um our podcast uh, listeners and we also have yeah one or two very very special people who are coming on this tour i'm not going to say anything about that uh, just oh, say that it will be a very, very cool tour for anyone who's coming. That is in August. It's from August 21st to the 27th. It's a seven-day tour uh, led by yours truly, where I bring you through Hong Kong, take you to all sorts of places related to uh, Kung Fu training, Wing Chun training. We go to Yip Man's grave. We go to Bruce Lee spots. I'll even make some time to do some blood sport stuff over there, like some blood sport locations. Yeah. And of course training as well um go to the website cdwt.com under um under the link there you'll see it in the description below uh you can actually uh, sign up on the website and you'll get two pdfs sent to you automatically which has all the information about the trip and everything but we are almost booked up and the city wing chun students haven't booked yet they're going to be booking shortly and once they book 
I really have to close the books on this tour because at some point it's just too many people for me to walk around with. And I cannot walk all over Hong Kong with 40 people behind me. It's just, it's going to, at some point it's going to be crazy. So I'm going to try to cap it somewhere uh, around 20. Uh, I'll have some people helping me. So maybe we have 25 people, something like that, but I can't really, I can't reasonably do much more than that. So anyway, the, uh, the window on the Hong Kong Kung Fu tour is closing. So, uh, get more information on that, uh, through the link below. So anyway, here we are for another episode. Very excited. And, uh, we have some Patreon questions to get started today. So I uh, see, I see we do. We got, uh, Nicholas Mazette up. Cool coming first out the gate i mean he's so good as a patreon he's highlighted in my on my page here so i think he's highlighted because that uh that's so that you're the you know to ask that question first oh uh, right? okay all right just making sure i, I thought he highlighted himself he hi- he has he has access yes. to our documents right, <laughs> right. nice to see a classical format of KFG podcast again. I guess this was us. It was that one we shot a few together. weeks ago where we went back to the other one. So he'll be disappointed we're answering his question on a non-classic KFG podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the whole team is here. A question for a next podcast. What was the rule in old days to become Sifu in Chinese martial arts circles, especially in Wing Chun? And what are the rules today in our modern era? As for example, in CWT, which is City mm. can we use coffee? Oh, and I guess this is another question. Can we use coffee instead of tea for by ceremony? ceremony? I'm a coffee right. drinker. Thank you for your answer. <laughs> I'd just like to make a quick point here, right? Yes. He got it correct in the intro. That's right. So you got it correct in the intro, but then got it incorrect when reading it. That's right. Off the question. Drake, Drake got by C correctly before we recorded Everyone and in the knows, intro. Because he because he read the question once. Last anyway. So yeah, be, because we uh we recorded uh, uh we recorded the intro, he got it right. But then before we recorded, he read the question off and he got it right. And then when the episode starts, by <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, Dre that's, is uh, that's how my Dre, brain operates. I can't Dre do anything the, about old, it. Old reliable. All right. So, <laughs> um, so that, that's a good question. So it's it's actually a little bit too difficult to answer because um the the qualifications for someone to become a sifu in any particular style or mm-hmm. any particular school or any particular lineage is essentially regulated by that school style or lineage. So uh, I think it's sometimes difficult for people to to understand that, you know, we, we have this this topic or this 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 category like Kung Fu or Wing Chun or whatever it is. And we tend to to think of it as like this kind of rubric of which everything falls underneath there. And it's all kind of the same and all uniform. But uh, the truth of the matter is that uh, in some let's just talk about Wing Chun uh, uh you stay in my wheelhouse here rather than discuss about uh, some of the other styles. All right. In Wing Chun, you know, in one Wing Chun school, the instructor may not qualify anyone as Sifu because that Sifu is like, this is my school. I'm the one that's teaching. You just come and learn from me. And that Sifu is not particularly interested in 
building more schools under their name or expanding or proselytizing their Wing Chun to the masses. So they might not qualify anyone as a Sifu or as they get older or before they retire, they might look around, look at their most senior student and go like, you've been around for a while. You kind of have an idea of what I teach. Um, wow. You can be a Sifu and teach uh, while I'm not here. And uh, and then when the Sifu finally retires, perhaps they even hand over the class or whatever to that, that uh, student. Uh, then there are other Wing Chun schools that uh, qualify people as a Sifu when they quote unquote finish learning the system. Uh, for other styles, once they have a certain amount of teaching experience, especially in the basics, even if they haven't completed everything, uh, they may already be able to become a Sifu because they're an experienced instructor, even, even if maybe they haven't finished learning like the knives or the pole, which is fine. Honestly, if, if you could not become a Sifu until you finish learning the whole system, then 95% of Yip Man students would never have been, the people who call themselves Sifu who had learned from Yip Man right. would not be Sifu themselves, right? So it, it's not necessary uh, that one has learned everything before they could be a qualified instructor. Um, although, you know, obviously at some point they should learn the whole system, but uh, uh, so it's different. And then other schools, like for example, at City Wing Chun, we have a, it's standardized. And that's not something that I completely created on my own. I'm mm. standing on the shoulders of the giants that came before me and created a standardized curriculum and, 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 you know, laid these things out. So if you were to look at the city Wing Chun Athletic Association's regulations for making someone a Sifu, you would see it's just a more streamlined, more fair, more transparent version of what they did in the IWTA. But it's not something that's like completely reinvented. Right. So. So that's what we always need to be mindful of, is that like throwing everything under the rubric of. Uh, how someone becomes a Sifu in Kung Fu or how someone becomes a Sifu in Wing Chun because different styles are different in this regard. In mm, some okay. systems of Kung Fu or Wing Chun, being a Sifu is like the highest bar, all right? So the only people who would be ever qualified to be a Sifu are like the the people who've been around for years and years and years and years and years and, and to have been with the Sifu forever. And then maybe one day they can be a Sifu. And in other schools, it's a little bit more reasonable. The, the title of Sifu is more akin to coach rather than master. You know what I mean? And if you look up the translation or you look up the definition of the term Sifu, uh, you'll see that like many things in Chinese martial arts, there's a little bit of ambiguity to that term, meaning that it, it's not like a little. It, 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 it's not uh, like most things in Wing Chun and most things in Kung Fu in general. There's no 100% agreed upon definition of what this means. OK, if you just threw it into a word, a Chinese word book. All right. Uh, you would it would probably just say master because that's just kind of a lazy definition for what it is. But mm -hmm. if you looked at the terms, you could also see it as a paternal teacher, a mentor, uh, a master, or even just simply a coach. And uh, what sometimes people forget is that there, um, 
And I did a video on this actually before we we started the KFG podcast. I did a video where I talked yes, about all the different Kung Fu family terms. It's right? like one of your first, second, third episodes. Uh, well, it wasn't an episode. It was actually yeah, a, yeah. a standalone topic video that yes. I, we did that before we even started doing the the regular episodes. Mm -hmm. I did that. That was around the time when I did like the the, the video about the phony German Kunto Wing Chun form. And uh, I did like why you shouldn't call yourself Dai Sifu. And then and the video is called the not so complicated Kung Fu family tree. And I uh, took inspiration from the not so complicated Chinese family tree video, uh, which was about just the normal family terms in Chinese. And I have a link for that okay. in my video. But uh, if you guys get a chance, uh, you can look in my uh, YouTube channel here, the KFG podcast channel, and look for the not so complicated Kung Fu family tree, where I, I explain all these distinctions, Sifu, Sihang, Sibak, all that stuff. But one of the things I talk about is that there are actually two terms that mean sifu and uh even among some chinese uh th that distinction is not entirely understood because the two different terms are pronounced identically so mm. the first character remember chinese is monosyllabic right meaning every, every character is one syllable you know every Every word is one syllable, right? So Sifu would be, so the first character, Si, means more or less like a teacher, all right? Or uh, in second character, and so the pronunciation is the same, but if you had subtitles underneath you everywhere you went, depending on how you use it, that second Fu character would be a different character, okay? So the, the generic one uh, means something like an expert or a coach, and it really means an expert in a blue-collar trade. So what, what, some, what some people, I think, forget is that you know, especially for Westerners, right? Where when we do something exotic like Asian martial arts, right? And then you become an instructor, you be, you get this title, Sifu, right? When you're, you know, a non-Asian Sifu or whatever, you tend to think that this title means you're like some really, really big shit, right? Uh, you're like, I'm a Sifu. Bruce Lee was also a Sifu. I'm a Sifu, right? Until you go to Hong Kong only to find out that mm -hmm. the term Sifu is... Um, it's almost banal. It's very common and very normal. Um, it means right. anyone who's an expert who collar trade. It, it's it's not for scholars and academics who's you know kind of feel like they're very scholarly and academic. Well, you got a blue collar trade title, bro. And yeah, um, the the term can be used by anyone. By the way, if you hear any weird tapping in the back right just started pouring raining outside and we're on the top floor so you can hear it a little Coming bit on, that on our floor here um so the 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 generic term sifu means an expert in a blue collar trade so who would you call Is it a like sifu? a forklift operator yes uh so, if if yes, that was their thing right a, yeah. a taxi driver uh, a blacksmith mm -hmm. a chef in fact, sometimes when you go to a Chinese restaurant, like a real Chinese restaurant, not like 
not like your golden dragon that serves sweet and sour chicken. I mean, like an actual real Chinese <laughs> oh, restaurant, no. right? Um, okay. And you look on the table, they'll sometimes have recommendations and little menu specials and stuff. And if you read in Chinese, it often says the Sifu's recommendations and they mean the okay. head chef. They, they don't mean that there's some Wing Chun guy with a wooden dummy in the back <laughs> deciding what you're going to eat, right? Uh, or a Choi Le Fut master deciding today it's going to be, you, you imagine? know, uh, a beef oyster sauce or whatever, right? <laughs> so you um, imagine, yeah. So, so, funny. so the chef is a sifu. A taxi driver is a sifu. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, when, uh, you know, when I'm in Hong Kong and I take a taxi, and uh, you know, you 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 pay the taxi to go somewhere, you often say like, "Thank you, sifu," <laughs> to the taxi driver, right? That guy is not okay. my sifu, right? Because the sifu title that I'm using is the uh... expert one. Okay, like I'm using that title as an honorific to, you know, witness the fitness of this guy's taxi skills. Right. All right. Like right. you are you are the best taxi driver in Hong Kong. You don't even need to use a GPS. You are the Sifu among Sifus of taxi driving. I, in I Hong swear Kong. if you would have said that to some taxi driver when we went there and mm -hmm. I, my brain would have broke. I would have been like. Yeah, but, but I pr I probably did. The problem is, I think you were in the taxi where Sar was getting punched in the face. Oh no, that's a, that's a whole nother. <laughs> that's a story for another day. That's a story for another day. All right. So uh, remember, what happens in Hong Kong stays in Hong Kong, right? Um, uh, un until it's four years old, and then you can make oh, you no. can make vague allusions to it on the podcast, right? Oh, no. So uh, <laughs> oh, no. so. So anyway, like it would be respectful to Man. call the taxi driver a Sivu, right? But, but you know, did that taxi driver have to ascend the <laughs> Wu-Tang Mountain for 20 years to become a taxi driver? In the so what does this mean? That means the bar to become a Sifu, an expert in something, also depends on the trade. Mm -hmm. uh, a style that has many, many, many forms. Let's say something like uh, Hongka or Choi Lei Fat. It may take a much longer time to become a Sifu, partially because in that style, they have to master a lot more forms. Mm -hmm. But in Wing Chun, because Wing Chun is a practical style, and uh, and by the way, I'm not saying the other styles are not practical. I'm just saying like our main focus is someone tries to punch you, you need to be able to do something about that and quick. Um, and we don't have that many forms then it's possible that if you're very diligent, you can apply Wing Chun, you understand how to use it and you can explain it, that you could technically become a Sifu in a shorter period of time because we don't have a syllabus of 30 plus forms and weapons to learn. We have, you know, a few unarmed sets, lots of partner practice and a couple other forms and things here and there, right? So that's why, it, it, that's another reason why you can't say in Kung Fu, it's, this is what you have to do to be a Sifu, right? Because even among the various Choi Lei Fat schools, the one Choi Lei Fat style might have more forms than the other one uh, or okay. might have a different. So, so even among the same style, all right, there's, there's no consensus on these things. Even when some people say, no, in all Chinese Kung Fu, this is what it means to be a Sifu. And I think that when you're in your 20s or when you're young, it's very easy to believe in these absolutes, all right? A Sifu means X, Y, Z and always means this. And when you get older, I dare say a little bit more mature, and I'll let you be the judge of that. Uh, it, 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 it's, much, it's much more difficult to say uh, this is what this thing means all the time, every time, because you realize 
they're usually far more exceptions. A lot of gray area, right? Yeah. Yeah, there's gray area and and different schools have different bars and different thresholds, right? So so you can't really say. The second character, so we have the the Sifu meaning coach, which is like a title and honorific. And then there's another version of that fool character, the second character, which literally means father, okay? Now the distinction there is when you use the Sifu with the father character in there, then mm-hmm. you are talking about your own personal sifu, your personal mentor. And generally in Chinese martial arts, it's accepted that you have only one sifu, like you have only one father, right? Although in the modern day, this has changed quite a bit. You know, in the old days, it was a lot more religious almost. You, If, if you had one sifu and then suddenly you went and followed someone else in the old days, uh, that would probably be considered some type of apostasy or something. Yeah, you get beheaded or something like that. See, I don't know quite about that, but yeah, maybe it would be, it would be very serious. Although nowadays, even in Hong Kong, for example, it's possible to have multiple Sifus in different disciplines. So you might have a Wing Chun Sifu and then you also practice Tai Chi on Sundays. And so you have a Tai Chi Sifu, right? And then although in in, in the old days, that would have been considered a conflict. You're not allowed to do this and this, right? Uh, Although some people didn't have a problem with that. Again, I can't say in the old days was always this way, right? Because you can go, yeah, well, there was the one guy who learned 10 different styles because people will always pull the exception to the rule and say, see, no, that did happen back then. But what I'm talking here is what's generally accepted. There are, of mm-hmm. course, exceptions to everything I'm saying right now. And to not admit that is would just to, to be ignorant. Um, but it is nowadays, like, if someone has a Sifu in Wing Chun and then a Sifu in Tai Chi and then, like, a Sifu in uh, 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 weaving baskets... I don't okay. think I don't think that anyone in Hong Kong really has a problem with that anymore. Um, but it would be very rare and unheard of to have two sifus in Wing Chun. Um, it 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 wouldn't be the case. In fact, that was a reason why there was some controversy about Leung Ting learning from Yip Man because Leung Ting sifu was Leung Sung, and then later he he started learning privately from from Yip Man, and then it was like, oh, well, well, now Leung Seung is not his Sifu anymore, now Yip Man is his Sifu, and that was never the case. Uh, Leung Cheng always called Yip Man uh, Man Gong, which is like, Gong is like Si Gong, like he's mm-hmm. kind of like grand, Grandpa Man, for kind of like saying something like that, right? Um, and so, man. yeah, so I mean, he then also learned from his um, from his Si Gong, even though Leung Cheng had kind of an acrimonious split between uh, him and his first Sifu, uh, even though uh, Leung Ting and Leung Sung had like a very bad split, as did a number of other students from Leung Sung at that time who also left, um, Leung Ting still, out of Chinese tradition, still admits and says that Leung Sung is a Sifu and Yip Man is a Seagull, right? So even when you have like a split and don't like your Sifu and then you start learning from someone else, <laughs> uh, even in the very traditional Wing Chun setting, you still can't call that new guy your Sifu, Right. Um, because that you, you have one paternal teacher. So that's mm-hmm. why when you use the title for coach or expert, that's something you can use for a bunch of different people. It's generally anyone who is a Sifu, but not your personal Sifu. Usually you will 
address those people as Sifu plus their name. Or if you do it in a Chinese way, their surname comes first and then the title Sifu. So if someone, for example, our good friend, Mak Chi Kong, who is yeah. one of the most amazing Sifus in Hungar, right? Uh, I always call him Mak Sifu. Mm -hmm. All right. I don't just call him Sifu. Why? Because he's not my Sifu, right? And it would be it would be rude to my own Sifu to call someone else simply as Sifu. Some sorts of my relationship with Maxifu to just call him Sifu because it's almost like I'm saying you've accepted me as your student because I'm just mm -hmm. calling you Sifu. That's why when you watch Prodigal Son and Yun Biu's Leung Jan keeps trying to call Lam Ching Ying's uh, uh, Leung Yi Tai keeps trying to say Sifu. Just those terms, you know, yeah. like, says, like, you're not my student. He was like always very like, oh, why are you saying that? Right. So uh -huh. uh, Westerners often commit this offense all the time, unbeknownst to themselves, because oh, they will wow. go up to a Sifu who is not their Sifu, a Chinese Sifu and go, oh, so nice to meet you, Sifu. Now, most mm -hmm. modern Sifus, they understand that this is like a small cultural misunderstanding. And some Chinese Sifus probably don't even really care. But in reality, if someone is a Sifu, but not your Sifu, you should call them Sifu so-and-so. Or if you want to be very traditional, the surname first and then Sifu, like Mak Sifu, Leung Sifu, mm -hmm. Wong Sifu, right? And that means that you are addressing them with the title Sifu as an honorific to ex uh, respect the fact that they're a Sifu. But the one person that is your personal Sifu, you don't call them so-and-so, Sifu so-and-so, or so-and-so, Sifu, you would just simply address them as Sifu. And that's usually why in when we write it in our alphabets, we usually distinguish it between Sifu as a general title. We write S-I-F-U and then the name. But your mm -hmm. own personal Sifu, we usually write S-I-F-U to just to make a differentiation in our alphabet between like, I'll talk about my personal Sifu versus someone who is a Sifu, but not mine. So, um, Okay. So again, you know, this doesn't directly answer the question, but uh, uh, what I wanted to hopefully illustrate here is that this is a, a complex topic to which there's no uh, simple answer. The City Wing Chun Athletic Association, we have a policy on what it means or how you become a CV. You have to be a second level technician. Uh, you have to have done some instructor classes. You have to have actually taught uh, beginners, intermediates, advanced. So we have like a whole, we have a step-by-step -step process. We, we qualify instructors here at city mm -hmm. Wing Chun. We do it in a very modern and professional way, but most traditional schools are just like, you've been around for a while. You've learned enough from me. You can be a Sifu. Um, in terms of the by C, uh, ceremony, which was the second part of that question there. So I I've talked about this before. I don't do by C ceremonies. All right. Which is very evident in the fact that my own students, like Dre, who asked the question, says it wrong because it's not a term we really use here at City Wing Chun. Mm, because right. I, I think any most people who watch my podcast will agree that I, I'm very fond of Chinese culture. I'm very fond of Chinese martial arts. This is kind of like my wheelhouse. This is what I love. But there are certain aspects of Chinese culture uh, regarding martial arts that I, I find are, are very beautiful, like a Bai Si ceremony is a it can be a very beautiful thing when it's done like in a very nice and very traditional way. Uh, our good friend Sifu William Kwok from uh, just another Wing Chun Sifu here in New York invited me once to uh, uh, to a dinner, which was also a ceremony for some of his most senior students to be accepted. I suppose as something like a Yapsat Lai like an inner circle student. So then they did oh, like right. another 
Baixi, and it was very beautiful. Everyone was in formal Chinese clothing, and the knees and the tea and everything like that, and the bowing and all that kind of stuff. I think it's great. I think it's beautiful. I don't partake in it. Uh, and uh, there's the reason why I don't do that is, first of all, it, it was never really the culture in the Leungting Wing Chun Association, partially because the Leungting Wing Chun Association, as many people know, is hugely successful in Europe where there are thousands and thousands of students who practice WT and it's almost untenable uh. to have to do a IC ceremony with everyone who comes in and everyone who becomes a student. And also nowadays, a Sifu is considered much more of a service provider. People come to us to learn the art, to learn self-defense, to, to, you know, to improve whatever aspects they, they want to improve with their lives. So we are not looked upon as these like uh, these keepers of the gate you want to learn this style you have to go through me because i'm a keeper of the gate so mm -hmm. you need to start showing me all this respect and you need to start towing the line and if you do all the right propitiations and you do all the right things that are going to make your sifu happy you follow the rules you're loyal you do what i say um then uh uh then i'll let you see what's behind that curtain and if you keep doing that, I'll let you see a little bit more. And so it starts with that Baisi ceremony. You want me to be your Sifu. You have to give me a, a red envelope stuffed with cash. All right. Whatever okay. my fee is. And uh, I take that. And then you serve me a cup of tea, usually on your knees. Most likely the most traditional version is you're on your knees. So you're completely like prostrate in front of your Sifu. You hand tea, and then when the Sifu takes it and drinks it, they have formally accepted you as a student. If they don't drink the tea, then they have not. And I always thought, has there ever been a case where a Sifu took the red packet of cash and then not <laughs> taken the tea? Right? Yeah. And <laughs> be like, that's thanks for the happen. cash. Yeah. yeah. I, I teach you. And usually, right after the tea, that's when you will then stand next to your Sifu and sometimes take the first official Sifu Todai portrait where your Sifu is sitting and you stand on the side, you take a photo. And, All right. and and have that, right? Um, I don't really do that. I did that once for one of my senior students who wanted to do it, but I felt that the reason why I, I don't uh, personally do it besides the aforementioned reasons of like, it was never really a thing in Leungting Wing Chun um, is that I don't believe it's necessary. If someone walks in my door and they want to come and learn and train Wing Chun, and they want to do it for self-defense or they want to do it to improve their coordination or the physical capabilities or or just because they saw the IP wow. man movie and want to learn how to fight. That's enough for me. They come in and train hard. That's why I don't need someone to go on their knees and bow to me, touching their head to the floor, which is also part of the Baisi ceremony. The floor in most cultures, for obvious reasons, considered very dirty. So you're on your knees, your hands are down, and you touch your head, which is your face, onto the floor. So mm. this is an ultimate sign of submission and prostration. I would never require another human being, a fellow brother human, to mm -hmm. put their head on the floor and give me tea and make this whole big thing about it for me to teach them. Hey, I might be your Sifu or your Sigong or someone you respect as your teacher, but you're also a human and you're my brother. You don't need to, 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 to demote yourself like this for me to teach you. Now, I understand where that comes from, from a Chinese martial arts cultural perspective. Okay. I, 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 I understand I historically. Just yeah. I where, understand where did that start? And did no, it's always Grandmaster Gipman do that? Oh, no, no, no. This 
the baisi thing has nothing to do with Wing Chun. This is Chinese Kung Fu. This is this is the paternal teacher student dynamic. This is not a Wing Chun thing. This is all of them. This is the baisi mm -hmm. ceremony of every traditional Kung Fu school. Like you cannot put your Wing Chun goggles on and think this is a Wing Chun thing. This is a Chinese Kung Fu thing. All right. Mm -hmm. And it had a lot to do with in the old days, martial arts styles were basically considered big secrets, family secrets. And um, to be allowed to learn that meant that you were kind of accepted into a group and it was understood. You don't teach this to other people. You don't demonstrate this openly. We're going to give you the family secrets. So like any time you're brought into a group or a society that requires you to have absolute loyalty and to keep secrets, there is always an initiation ceremony. Look at the, Look at gang initiation ceremonies. Look at triad initiation ceremonies. Look at most religious cults mm, <laughs> initiation mm. ceremony. Because this is like, hey, you want to be part of this? I need to see that you're absolutely loyal to me. And um, I understand why that maybe made sense a few hundred years ago where uh, life or death depended on these skills being secret. You didn't want other people to know how Wing Chun operated because that's how you protected your life. Just okay. as a generic example, whether it ever really was that way, I don't know. But let's just say that's the picture that we're given. Uh, it's 2023. You can go on YouTube and, and see any Wing Chun form you want. You can see whatever you can do. Like The, the idea that I'm, someone has to lie prostrate in front of me for me to teach them, I would be so embarrassed, really embarrassed. And I'm not saying that to throw shade on Kung Fu schools that do that. Like I said, our, some of our good friends do that. And I think the ceremony is very beautiful and it can be done in a very beautiful way. I'm just saying that for me personally, the, the act, the ritual of someone having to kind of completely submit their ego to me just to learn, uh, I, I, I don't find it necessary. And I, and I don't, I don't find it something that I, I, can ask another adult to do. Obviously, we students should be respectful. They're respectful of their teachers and they're respectful of the school and the style, and they take care of the school and they, you know, they they follow the rules and all that stuff. But mm -hmm. but but you have that in pretty much anything you join as an adult, right? You go to the library, you know you're not supposed to be loud, right? You go into the racquetball court <laughs> at the oh, YMCA, you know you're not supposed to be uh, hitting baseballs in there with a bat. I mean, like like that's just normal human solidarity. It took me a I, long I, time I, to learn the library rolled i'm so, sure yeah um, <laughs> mikey's like you went to a library <laughs> i've been to a i've been to my fair share yeah but, so uh, you, you know so so for me i just i i just don't see it being a necessary thing anymore um mm -hmm. and uh you know uh, uh but but you know i'll go to a bicey ceremony and watch it and there's something very beautiful about certain rituals and certain ceremonies, right? And I think it, you, as human beings, we can separate these things. You can see something that is that is beautiful. You can see something like a type of religious ceremony that like the way they do it is very beautiful and you can appreciate that and not have to believe in that religion, for example, right? So I think that, you know, as humans, we can appreciate beauty and appreciate the luminous without ha having to believe in any aspects of those things, even if you understand it. So in terms of, whether you can have coffee instead of tea for the Bicey ceremony. I think the, the, the answer is very similar to my answer for what is it? How do you become a Sifu? It well, depends. Uh, I'm sure there's Sifu out there that do the Bicey ceremony and say, 
give me some Cuban espresso instead of tea, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, okay. these things are flexible. So, um, but it, these are not things that I, I partake in. I, um, uh, it's just, it's just not my style. And, and, and I feel that it, it's, uh, it's also a way good sifus use it as part of the tradition and it's a beautiful thing. Other sifus use it as a way to control their subjects. And I think mm -hmm. that there's something somewhat tyrannical about that. And I'm not this kind of tyranny is something that I, I moved away from by leaving other associations. And it doesn't make sense that I would leave that complaint about the tyranny in other okay. associations only to create my own sub tyranny at city wing Chun, Right. So right. Uh, that, that, that I think needs, we need to move so, forward from. So I'm thinking like, I've never seen any by ceremonies in the Yip Man movie. So Yip Man never practiced this. No, Yip Man did it. Uh, uh, for sure, he did it, and Wait, he did it with many. They're not he in did the Yip Man movie. Well, if you if 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 you take the Yip Man movies as facts, then you'll have to take the Bible as history. Okay, um, it's, <laughs> okay. I, I think the, the Yip Man movies are as historically accurate as the Bible is accurate in terms of history. Right, oh, uh, it, meaning that it's not at all. Um, no, actually, if you watch the Grandmaster with um, Tony Lam. It shows, mm. shows Yip Man as a child doing the Bai Si with his Sivu Chan Ma Shun. Um, so, yes. And uh, Leung Ting did a Bai Si with, uh, with Yip Man, even though Yip Man was a Sigong. He did the Bai Si and gave him the fat red packet to start, you know, correcting his wooden dummy techniques. And um, there are also stories. There are some famous Sifu in, uh, in, in Europe who had learned from Yip Man, Chinese Sifu, that did a Baisi ceremony with Yip Man and a few months later moved to Europe and started teaching Wing Chun. So um, there, there are people who probably didn't do a Baisi ceremony. They just handed Yip Man some cash and started learning. Other people did a Baisi ceremony and trained. And there are people who did a Baisi ceremony and peaced out after two months. And they'd be like, well, I did Baisi with Yip Man, with Grandmaster Yip Man. All right. And, and OK, so you did that. But uh, how long did you train? How competent are you in the skills, right? And I and I feel that sometimes when you make the bicey then something only for special students, you award a special status to people who just paid you more money but didn't necessarily put in extra work and effort. Mm, so and okay. we cannot forget that regardless of all the different names of styles, it's kung fu, your achievement through hard work and effort. And we shouldn't let the cultural trappings cloud that. At the end of the day, yeah, it's about what you can do. Okay. All right. So what else we what else do we have? I think we have another Patreon question. Is that correct? I believe so. We have time for one more, I guess. Uh well, we have time for a few more questions, but definitely we'll do one more Patreon because we just did a yeah. Patreon only episode and then we'll do another one in a few weeks. So the Patreons get episodes where we only do their questions, but we do have to answer some questions from our non-Patreons. Uh, but right. Patreons always get priority in terms of questions. All right, here we go with Roberto Santiago. All right. Question for the podcast. See for Alex, I have read that Bruce Lee was fond of oyster beef. You just mentioned oyster beef, too. Because well, we, we, we read that question before class. That's why. It must have uh, been sitting on the brain. Uh, <laughs> barbecue pork and dim sum. Do you know of other foods that Bruce Lee liked or even have a recipe of any of his favorite dishes. Ooh, thanks. 
no, I mean, uh, I'm I'm a huge fan of all things Bruce Lee. Um, but I have to say, of all the things about Bruce Lee, probably one of the areas I'm shadiest on uh, was his culinary skills or lack thereof. No, actually, it's a joke. Uh, Bruce Lee couldn't cook at all. Linda Lee would make jokes that he couldn't even boil water. And uh, there was even, I think she even talked about um, so something like uh, uh, Linda Lee was like, there was a period where she was away from Bruce. Maybe it was mm -hmm. like when Bruce had just come to Hong Kong, Linda wasn't there yet. Uh, or she had gone back to see her mom, like whatever. Bruce was alone for a few days. And then she said something like while she was gone, he just ate cookies because he, he couldn't cook. So um, in terms of Bruce Lee's culinary skills, I think that's kind of a non-starter. In other words, Bruce Lee was not the Bruce Lee of cooking by any mm -hmm. stretch of the imagination. There's oh, no man. chance, for instance, that the uh, Lee estate will bring out uh, favorite recipes of Bruce Lee at some point. Okay, so so Bruce Lee was not at all uh, a culinary expert, according to Linda Lee. But um, the, I don't think that that would stop Shannon from coming out with the Bruce Lee cookbook because ah, if, if, if she oh, can monetize wow. it and put her dad's name on it, I'm sure she'd come up with like the Bruce wow. Lee diet. Um, and these were all things cooked by my father, right? Okay. Um, so uh, uh, no, Bruce Lee liked the um, beef with oyster sauce. That was one of his favorite things since back in the early Seattle days. In fact, I think if you go to Tai Tong restaurant, um, mm -hmm. in Seattle, in Seattle, Chinatown. Tai Tong uh, restaurant was Bruce Lee's favorite restaurant in Chinatown at that is time. Is it still around? It is still around. Same wow. old shitty sign. Uh -huh. I'm under the impression that it's probably not the same owners, mm. not the same management. They have, in, in a number of years ago, figured out from all these tourists that were going there who were going there because, you know, in, um, I think in one of Jesse, in one of Jesse Glover's books, Jesse yeah. Glover says that Tai Tung was like one of Bruce Lee's favorite restaurants. Um, there was another one too, uh, uh, that I used to go to because I lived in Seattle for a few years. So yeah. I know how I, many times uh, have you been to Tai Tung? Uh, I went there once as a teenager because it, it was part of, it was awful. It was awful. It was, a, I have to say, people go there because they're like, oh, this was Bruce Lee's favorite Chinese restaurant. And now when you no. go to Taitung, I've seen photos. It wasn't there when I lived in Seattle. They have like Bruce Lee pictures and photos and everything on the wall. And I think they even have some of Bruce Lee like to sit here kind of bullshit. And oh, I'm pretty sure yeah. that the current management of Taitung restaurant on uh, South uh, King Street in Seattle, Chinatown, are in fact not the same people who were serving Bruce Lee beef with oyster sauce in the late 50s, early 60s. That's something. Um, but it's a shitty Chinese restaurant. I'm sorry. Um, if you go to Seattle, Chinatown, there are a couple, yeah. there are some far better Cantonese restaurants in Chinatown now, but people go there like, oh, this was Bruce Lee's favorite place. And his like Chinatown school is right around the corner. Um, so, yeah, he, but he was eating beef with oyster sauce since back then. Uh, I'm staring down at my phone because mm -hmm. I have, as you know, the KFG has all sorts of um, Bruce Lee things. Oh, and wow. I actually have a copy of a couple of um, receipts, uh, uh, dining receipts that Bruce Lee had in uh, in the uh, 70s, in the early 70s when he was in Hong Kong. This was hmm. uh, published, in, uh, published in one of the books. Um, so on February 4th, 1973, so around the time he's starting, uh, or he about to start it, enter the dragon, 
um, he ate at the, the Hyatt Regency in Hong Kong, Hugo's restaurant. Actually, I think that restaurant might even still be there. The Hyatt is still there. Um, there were four people here. Okay. So th this is just what the receipt says. Okay. Oh, okay. Um, and uh, filet mignon, oysters, ribs. Now, of course, I don't know who ate what. Uh, sole, shrimp, strawberry flan. Ooh, my Cuban side is like strawberry. I've never had strawberry flan, right? What? Uh, but look, like filet Ooh, mignon, wow. rib, uh, you know, ribs, oysters, the pretty yeah. standard stuff. Uh, we know that Bruce Lee likes spaghetti because he vomited spaghetti on the day of his collapse on May 10th. Uh, <laughs> we know. So, yeah. We know. Oh, God. Uh, ginger beer. He liked yeah. ginger beer. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, but it's kind of the. I mean, I have more notes somewhere, but I mean, who wants to listen to my podcast? We read off stuff that Bruce Lee ate in 1973. Uh, so no, but Bruce Lee was not a cook. And uh, but uh, you know, uh, don't be shocked when Shannon Lee comes out with uh, my father's ten favorite healthy recipes that he used to cook for us all the time. All right, don't be shocked when that comes out. Don't be uh, and and if you order if you pre-order that book today, they will include a free set of B water flip flops. Yes, okay, yes, so Dre, what else you got for me? Oh man, let me uh, do a quick scroll. Okay, mm -hmm. and we're going to start with Axel Stone, one of the coolest names in the KFG. Axel uh, Stone's a great name. Yeah, it's such a great name, man. Yeah. The uh, starts with L O L. Brilliant. I wish Brandon had lived. I think uh, he would have <laughs> prevented JKD from becoming the mess it is today. Uh, yeah, so I think that's a comment on the Brandon Lee video that I posted, that little short that we did where he, yeah. he told the reporter to go to go <laughs> F, 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 F her mother. <laughs> yeah. And they didn't say what else. I said, you have lovely eyes, right? Such a oh, great clip. Man. And uh, yesterday was also the um, the anniversary of uh, uh, Brandon Lee's passing, unfortunately. Uh, yes, it's... Uh, so that would be why they were showing all those pictures of Jason Momoa's crow. Oh, yeah. So, so it was 30 years uh, yesterday uh, that, that Brandon passed, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, at the time of this recording, of course, by the time this podcast comes out, that, that that's not going to be accurate. But uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I posted that clip. We got lots of really great comments on that. Um, okay. So I, I don't think if Brandon was alive, JKD would not be in a mess because uh, please name one martial art um, that has traction, that is popular, that is taught all over the world. Uh, that doesn't have political problems, all right? Mm -hmm. um, even in something as unified as World Taekw Taekwondo Federation, WTF, by the way, uh, World Taekwondo <laughs> Federation, um, there are um, what the... there there are, there are disputes about uh, regulations and forms, and there's older WTF proponents, and then there's like newer versions of that, right? So, uh, and that's with a a, a, a centralized Taekwondo association with a headquarters in Seoul. That's a, the cookie one is a, this big building and they have, 
it's the same Taekwondo federation that uh, goes to the Olympics. So Olympic Taekwondo Ooh, is okay. w, WTF Taekwondo, right? Because there's a bunch of <laughs> there's a bunch of different Taekwondo. So that is very funny. But that, of course, that yeah. was be, the days before the internet, before all these acronyms and stuff. Oh no, um, I I practice WTF Taekwondo, and that, that's where I have my black belt. And and my name is also in the cookie one in Seoul, Korea. So you have you, the you, the, uh, the if, patch WTF patch. Yeah, your, um, and I have okay. my old uniform. I have my black belt. I have everything. But my my name is somewhere there on a wall somewhere in Seoul, Korea. Oh, when you so got a, when you got a black belt in the World Taekwondo Federation, they put your name on some wall or something. So at Whoa. some point, I would like to to go there and see it. The Cookie One is also this amazing training facility. But Taekwondo, even the WTF Taekwondo, has changed so much since I trained. And I stopped doing that in. 92 something like that and i i looked at olympics i looked at olympic taekwondo during the last olympics and i i couldn't recognize it from what i had learned i was like what is this it's like this very weird foot tag um and when we did it it was it was a very very different thing very different thing um so and that's it an official organization with a headquarters and a building and a centralized training facility and a standardized curriculum, and they have problems, okay? So that means that any martial arts school or association that has less of a structure than the cookie one in, in, in Seoul, Korea, mm. is more than likely going to have more problems, okay? Now, when you have an open system like Jeet Kune Do or some people consider it a closed system. You can, if you watch that Dr. James Bishop episode I had, uh, we mm -hmm. talk a little bit about that. Uh, when you have a style of no style, a style that uses, uh, you know, any way is way, no way is way, all that kind of stuff, right? Um, how, how are you going to wrangle, how are you going to wrangle the entire world to be like, okay, it's using no way is way, you know, having no limitation as limitation, you know, not being bound by dogma. Bruce Lee's whole thing is, you know, liberate yourself from classical karate, liberate yourself from the dogmas and the traditions and and, and liberate yourself from dogma. Mm -hmm. Okay, now we are going to set the rules for Jeet Kune Do all over the world so that everyone is unified. Didn't he say we're supposed to liberate ourselves from all those things? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we don't want Jeet Kune Do to be a mess. So we're, we have to create all these rules. Isn't that against what Bruce E. wrote in his book? <laughs> yeah, but no. Yeah, All right. Well. So, so look, if you follow Bruce Lee or you don't follow Bruce, how how are you going to unify this? And um, I don't know why Brandon Lee would have been the person to do that. All right. Brandon Lee was what, mm -hmm. nine, 10 years old when his father passed away, about nine, nine years old. Uh, and he started getting into Jeet Kune Do a little bit later and he started learning from Sifu Inosanto. So, um, I, I don't understand why. I mean, maybe it has something to do with uh, the, the whole kind of mandate from heaven or the lineage of kings and royal families or the importance on genealogy where mm -hmm. there's like all this importance put on the children of someone who's done something great. Um, because when they're born, they didn't ask to take on this mantle you know every everyone comes into this world full of possibilities and then you go you can mm -hmm. do whatever you want you can do whatever you want sorry kid your dad's bruce lee you're yeah. gonna have to shoulder jeet kundo for your life 
<laughs> Ouch. But I like girls and motorcycles. Yeah. Nope. Your father's Bruce Lee. What What is this incessant need to dump the legacy of a great father or mother or family or lineage on the kids? It, it, it like case in point, both of my, both of my kids mm -hmm. are not really particularly interested in martial arts or wing chun. I mean, they do it. We do self-defense games. Like, you, you know, you've taught them, like they'll do it and they'll have fun, yeah. but they don't go in like, they're not fanatical about martial arts the way I was. If it's not fun, they're not doing it. Yeah. Doing um, it. But imagine I go like, girls, your <laughs> father is the Kung Fu genius. Yeah. You are going to have to take all of this over when I'm gone. But they like gymnastics. They like right. Barbie. Okay. I'm going to tell them because of my own ego, because of the thing I decided to follow for my life, that I'm going to impose this burden on my children. Or if I had an untimely passing, that this burden of my legacy, which is something I chose because I love it, has to mm. be pushed onto my kids because they're my kids. I cannot think of anything more, sorry to be repetitive on this word, tyrannical than that worldview. Brandon Lee was a human being with his own ideas and his own thoughts and an entire life of potential in front of him. Mm -hmm. He he could have done anything he wanted to do. Obviously, it looked like he was really getting in. His acting career was coming into to stride. He was, he was, from what I've heard, one of the original people they thought about The Matrix, right? Mm -hmm. Can you imagine? The Matrix with Brandon Lee instead of Kanunu Reeves would have been in a would have been unbelievable. Would have been unbelievable. Really different. I, 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 you know, it's like how, I, you can't regret something that could have never been. But like, I almost feel like one of my life regrets is that uh, one of my personal life regrets, which shows you okay. how, how egoistic humans are. One of my personal life regrets is that I didn't see Brandon Lee in the Matrix. Right. Uh, meanwhile, this, this poor right. soul passed away so unfortunately. Right. Um, wow. No. So I mean, th this idea that the kids have to do it. I mean, because you're the child of someone that means you carry the legacy shannon is bruce lee's daughter she's carrying the legacy of bruce lee how well is she doing okay so maybe brandon lee would have done a better job but what if he became a famous actor uh mm -hmm. like his father wanted to be i think his father was way more interested in becoming an actor than he was in perpetuating this legacy of jeet kundo oh now brandon has to do it Brandon was a student of Sifu Inosanto. So I think that there's nothing, and he was very close to him. I think there's okay. nothing to indicate that Brandon Lee's take on Jeet Kundo would be any different from what he learned from his kind of avuncular figure of Dan Inosanto. I mean, why, why, would, why would Bruce Lee have a different take on Jeet Kundo than Dan Inosanto, his father's most prominent student and the guy who taught him Jeet Kundo? Because, yeah. We have photos of Bruce, you know, showing Brandon at a kick and punch and break boards and stuff. But I mean, let's be honest. How much do you understand at nine years old about the dynamics of distance and timing and everything like that? Right. This is something you have to come into when you're a little bit older. And where would he have gotten that information from? He would have gotten that from Dan Inosanto. And he would have been more likely and understandably so in a deep kindo sense, politically aligned with Dan Inosanto. So why would that stop the so-called divided Jeet Kundo? Brandon Lee would just be uh, most likely, uh, and Brandon Lee was a very modern guy. 
he probably would have seen mixed martial arts and thought, wow, that stuff's really cool. I think my dad would have really liked it. And I don't think that there's anything to indicate that he wouldn't have gone. And of course, it's all speculation anyway, that he wouldn't have gone in the way of Dan and Asanto and become that kind of perhaps more eclectic view of doing things, right? So how would that stop the divide? The divide is between the people who believe that the only Jeet Kune Do worth practicing is the Jeet Kune Do that existed up until Bruce Lee's untimely death. And the Jeet Kune Do concepts guy believe, guys believe that it's a, it's a process, right? Uh, and I'm not saying that original JKD guys don't also believe there's a process. And again, the, the problem with these terms and divisions is that they're all fabricated. But why would Brandon be the one to do it? I think if Brandon was in charge of the Lee estate, I think he'd do a better job than Shannon for sure. I think if, if yeah. I think if I, I think if the Lee estate just put a professional marketing company with yeah. people who know what they're doing in terms of marketing, especially legacy figures, um, the, the the Bruce Lee.com and all this would be amazing. I think it, it's been bogged down by Shannon's uh, imposition of her take on her father. And the kind of whitewashing of, you know, his kind of naughtier side, I suppose. Um, <laughs> so, so I think anyone would probably do a better job. Uh, and, you know, and I'm not and, and people go, oh, Shannon just wants to make a buck off her father. Hey, Bruce Lee is her father. Bruce Lee was my father. I would also be trying to monetize it. Uh, I'm not uh -huh. blaming Shannon for trying to make money off of her father. I just don't like the products they make. I think that they could do better. And I think mm -hmm. that sometimes her takes are a little... Um, presumptuous uh, in terms of you know things that she says sometimes, but I'm not oh, I'm not going to get too into that. So no, I don't think Brandon would have been the savior of Jeet Kune Do. Not well, not there at all. Is one person that could still be the savior. Who would be the savior of Jeet Kune Do? That dude in Taiwan. The dude in Taiwan. Yeah, you know Bruce's illegitimate. Oh child yeah, Bruce's like illegitimate that. child. He's the one. Yeah, the one that 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 oh, whack, that yeah. one that that whack commenter kept going. I gotta like, see. Yeah, this. Bruce. He was like calling, yeah, Bruce Lee's real son is in Taiwan and he's like amazing, but he keeps a low profile. And I'm like, yeah, cool story. He's like, oh, what? Yeah, you should meet him. Then you would find out. I'm like, you should meet him. Oh, okay, what's his name? Where is he? He's like, yeah, yeah. were you afraid to meet him? Um, <laughs> tell me who he is at least. Tell me who he is. Yeah. Uh, uh, I'll Bruce, meet someone who's let's arrange it. Bruce Lee's illegitimate son. That would be right. great fodder for the KFG podcast. Uh -huh. Imagine do a live stream. Here I am with Bruce Lee's illegitimate son. All right, you mentioned the questions I would ask this uh, the, this uh, imposter. Yeah, yeah. But it was funny because the guy who was commenting was kind of like, "What? You don't want to go see him? Yeah, I would love to go see him. Tell me his name. Tell me where he's. Yeah, what are you scared to go see him? Yeah, you don't want to know the truth. I'm like, why? Well, I don't really believe he had illegitimate son. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's, it's like, okay, you, yeah. You, you have issues and you, you, you live in a fantasy world. Um, oh okay, so uh, I think we have time for one more. I think we do too. I see the time on the top and I'm loving it. So we got Minden next. All right. Okay. Minden is saying, hi, Alex. Could you please give a shout out to my seven-year-old daughter, Liberty, who has a question for you for an AMA episode? Wow. Shout out to Liberty. Seven years old. That's the same age as my youngest daughter yes, as well. Yes. What's yes. the question? Okay. She saw Bruce Lee performing the two finger push up for the first time. And she was amazed. She wanted to ask if the KFG can do the two finger push up. And also how did Bruce Lee train his fingers to be able to do this? 
Love the podcast. Keep up the great work. Uh, that's a great question. Um, yes. Okay, so do two finger push ups? Do they have to be my two fingers? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Can I use someone else's yes. and push myself up? Right, Christian's um, fingers. No, yeah. I, I used to. I, I used to do. Um, uh, fingertip push-ups this way here, but mm-hmm. it's something you have to maintain because if you don't maintain it, you, you don't have that tendon ligament strength in there. It goes away quickly. Well, like any type of, I don't know exactly how Bruce Lee built up to it. Um, well, I do know that uh, although I'm the same height as Bruce Lee, um, I outweigh Bruce Lee easily by 35 right. oh, yeah. uh, on a good day, 40 pounds. All right. So right. Uh, those, my two fingers have a lot more load than Bruce Lee's two fingers. When I do those pushups, um, I never did two finger pushups or four finger. I, I, I used have you ever tried like, them? N- no, I, I was, uh, well, I, I, I've done like on my knees where I try to take fingers away, but it's mm-hmm. not my full body weight, but I don't think I ever made it to two fingers on one hand. Um, okay. But it's also not something that I really tried to do because I think that uh, for me, anything that I want to do, like if there's a feat of strength or whatever, and you know me, Dre, like when I get something in my head, this is like my obsession for a while, yeah. right? Uh, I would go, like if I decide, okay, I want to be able to do two finger push ups, then you know, yeah, you, you yeah, know me, you'll, you'll I, I would, much, I would start working much, on it slowly right. and building it up progressively. All strength training has to be built up slowly, step by step. So you would maybe perhaps stand up straight and use two fingers against a wall and push yourself back. And maybe you lean against the wall at a slight angle. So you mm-hmm. start, so you can do the two fingers, but you're doing it standing up against a wall. And then as you get better, you increase the lean until you're eventually able to do it that way. Because the problem with doing something so incredibly difficult is how do you practice something that you can't do? It's like the pull-up problem. Well, how do I train pull-ups if I can't do a pull-up, right? Well, you have, to, you have to do it in a progressive way and do partials and do it in different angles that are way easier until you can finally do it. You have to build up to it. So um, any type of strength training, you can do it, but you have to go step by step. Um, I remember uh, the, I got obsessive about fingertip push-ups around 2015, 2016. And the reason I did was because I did some Southern Mantis training with Sifu Lee Tin Loy in Hong Kong. And they're all oh, about like, nice. the, you know, the pow, 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 like all the kind of very strong tendon training. And those guys, like if they grab you, they just, they'll just squeeze, they'll squeeze your arm like a, like, like toothpaste. Right. And it's just, they're so strong. And um, I remember like seeing all these feats of strength that the Jaoga Mantis guys were doing. And I had, um, lunch once with Sifu Lee Tin Loy at the same Cha Tan Tang that you and I went to by Yip Man's place. Do you remember oh, right when under. we went to, to, right under Yip Man's place, we went there for yeah, the Dantat and all that. Yeah, I, I found yeah, out about yeah. that place because Sifu Lee Tin Loy used to take me there after training. So one time, um, one time I uh, uh, was there, you know, eating with him and talking with him. And then he was saying, he goes, fingertip push-ups. He goes, most people do them wrong. And I go, really? Now, of course, I'm not talking oh. about Bruce, Bruce Lee's two-finger push-ups now. I'm talking about something in Mantis. He says, so uh, obviously for those of you who listen to us on audio, this is, this is not going to be very helpful. But for those of you who are watching us on YouTube, um, y- you can see what I'm doing here. So if you imagine this hand is the floor, and here I have my fingers on the ground, okay? So he says, uh, well, I can't actually do it without my hand. Most people, when they do it, they do it like, 
like this, where you see like my fingers are almost bending backwards because of the weight. Mm. And that's kind of like your default. Once you put the pressure on there, your fingers kind of bend that way. Right. And Siva leads in lawyers like, no, it has to be this way. So if you see my hands here, do you see that my fingers are actually bent? The They're not bent backwards like the way you see that they, they bend when you do those kind of push-ups. It's actually bent the other way on the fingertips like this. Mm-hmm. And he goes, that's how you do it. And that is a number harder than the normal way of doing it. And he said like, um, and he had this crazy demonstration where that he basically goes into like a kind of a push-up plank on his fingertips or maybe he even just sits down and goes this way here. And under his hands, he has these, he has an egg. There's one egg mm-hmm. under each hand. And he'll lock out his arms and then he'll have one of his heavy students stand on his forearms. Wow. And he'll just hold it that there because, of course, if he lets go, he's going to crush the eggs underneath. And he did that demonstration and it impressed the hell out of me. And then while I was having lunch with him, he said, uh, he asked me, he goes, have you seen my demonstration? You know, when I put my hands on the table and do the fingertip thing with the egg underneath. And then the student stands on my forearms and I can, you know, can hold the weight on my fingertips. Right. I go, yeah. He goes, yeah, it's not so good. And I go, <laughs> like, if I could do that, I would do that at every party, everywhere I go. I'd be like, yo, who's got two eggs? Who's got two eggs. <laughs> put those on the table. Boom. Right. All right. Who's the biggest guy? Go ahead and stand on my yeah. arms. I'd be doing that all the time. Right. Who oh, wouldn't man. want to impress their friends tricks. with that. Right. Yeah, party wow. tricks, kung fu party tricks, right? The only kung fu party trick I have is the the elbow that can turn uh, without the hand turning, right? That's a yes. that, that one's a really. I hard remember that broke people, my right? brain the first time I saw that too. So and and That's a good one. Uh, and and then um, he goes, "It's not that good," and I go, "Really?" Mm. I go, "That looks very difficult." He goes, "No, the older generations could do it better." I go, "Really?" Uh, and I'm thinking what well, they did it with like heavier weight on the forearms. And he uh, said, no, he goes, my Sifu did it with three fingers over the egg. Ooh. <laughs> and I'm like, Whoa. Ooh. So that was, that was very impressive. Um, so yeah, but that, that finger strength training has to be built up progressively. You have to do it slowly. So my advice would be, you know, even just for pu- push-ups, if you're bad at push-ups, do it against the wall leaning and you kind of put almost like you're doing a punch away from the wall. And then you mm-hmm. gradually lean more and more. So you add more and more body weight and then you can do the same thing with your fingertips and then you can gradually transition into the ground. And that would be, in my opinion, the most sensible way. You can also strengthen your fingertips by using those rubber donut trainers. You could buy them on Amazon for $10. Oh, right. like you come in three different sizes. You can do your grip strength training. Also, you should not just do the rubber grip strength training. You should also... You know, sometimes those metal kung fu rings. Everyone wants to put those metal kung fu rings around their wrists because they saw that Wait, one. I'm sorry. Did you say donut strainer? Donut oh, trainers. Donut. Yeah, donut they look trainer. like little donuts. They're like rubbers, right? Okay. Um, Not strainer. And then, uh, Not like the the stuff that um that the lady would bring to Tom's gym. No, not like that. And then, so if you have a metal ring, you could grab the metal ring and you could squeeze it like isometrically Uh to train your tendon strength. And then if you have three different size rings, you could do that in three different positions. So Mm -hmm. you could do like supplementary stuff and also just, you know. Oh yeah. Developing the late kind of a um, expelling of force at the very end. So you stabilize your fingers and then eventually you do that flatter and flatter this way here until you feel stabilized landing that way. But that, that takes a little bit of time. Like anything, Jeez. strength training needs to be developed progressively. So 
that's pretty much everything I got for today. Thank you so much, Dre, for Yay. meeting here on Saturday morning. Thank you. And thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of the Kung Fu Genius Podcast. As always, don't forget to like this episode, subscribe to the Kung Fu Genius, hit that bell for notifications, and comment below any questions you want me to answer in a future episode. Put them in there below. If you want priority, uh, support us on Patreon. And until then, I'll see you guys next time. Word is I'm a kung fu genius. Technique speaks for me, not lineage. Forget Jet Li, cause I'm the one. Many call me seafood, but to you I'm seagung. And I produce masses. You surpassed us. Your kung fu stiffer than corpse and caskets. City Wing Chung is the house I built. Violate the gate and your blood gets spilt. Alex Richter, O-H.